Welcome to Changing Conversations with Billy Burke and me, Sarah Philp. This is a podcast creating space for conversations with, for and by educators. Conversation is one of the oldest ways to nurture the conditions for growth and improvement. When we talk about what matters, we come alive and conversation has the power to guide us into new and different actions offering the potential for great things. We bring you conversations that have resonance both now and in the future. With the help of guests and the odd solo episode, we explore leadership, learning and well-being. We have the conversations we know you want to listen to. In this episode, I chat with Anne Patterson, who is currently retired, but as you'll hear, is still really quite busy. And in particular, she's engaged in doctoral research on rural education, something she's very passionate about, having lived and worked in Argyll and Butte throughout her career. It was great to have the opportunity to shine a light on rural education, and I'm sure it will be of interest to many of you. And it's lovely to see you tonight. How are you? I'm really well. If um, we could do something about this weather, I think it would be even better. I know. I lose track of what storm we're on now, but yes, I agree. It's been a little bit damp in Scotland recently, although it was nice at the weekend. That's true. Um, Yes, it was lovely. Thank you for agreeing to have this conversation. Thank you for being part of the podcast. Just to start, I guess, can you say a little bit about um, yourself, what you're doing, what your background is? Thank you, Sarah, for asking me. My name's Anne Patterson, and I am currently uh, classified as retired, which is wonderful. <laughs> but I've never been busier in my life. <laughs> um, <clears throat> I've spent my career, my education career, in Argyll and Butte mm-hmm. um, for over about 40 years. I started as class teacher, and when I reti- retired in December 2020, I was chief education officer. <laughs> So it was a a lovely journey and mm-hmm. a journey that was so special because I think, you know, you you become really rooted in the community, which is, is important for me. So since December 20, I've done various little projects and I spent some time with the Scottish Government as a professional advisor for the 1140 Hours programme. And I suppose one of the biggest uh, focus for me professionally just now is completing my D at Strathclyde. I'm sure I must be the oldest student in town, but it's lovely. And tell us out of curiosity, what's the focus of your D? Well, I'm sure you won't be surprised to hear that it's about rural education is the focus. And I'm particularly looking at policy in practice and practice in policy in small rural schools in Scotland. Mm -hmm. So either two to three classes only in the small primary schools. Yeah, you're right. I'm not surprised (laughs) that that's the focus. And I guess, I I suppose I'm curious, I wonder how much of that has been informed by your work in Argyll and Butte and the context of Argyll and Butte must have kind of shaped that, that interest to some extent. Absolutely. And that's a really interesting thing, Sarah, because at the beginning of this process, Mm. my supervisor had said to me that I was um, integral to the whole church. Uh And I didn't really get it. But I do now, you know, because it's so hard to actually um, separate out, you know, the research that I'm looking at and how that's impacted, uh, I suppose, in my professional life. 
And I've always been that person who has um, been championing, um, who has been there saying, what about rural schools? Um, yes. So, you know, I suppose why I wanted when I was looking at doing a doctorate, why I wanted to focus on rural schools was actually to support leaving a legacy there as well because I understand that I do have a lot of knowledge around uh, rural education. And yeah. I suppose I wanted to try and bring that into the academic world. Yeah, yeah. So for those of us less clued in, what what defines what, what makes rural education rural education? Or how would you describe it? Because I guess we maybe conjures up different images in, in our minds. Absolutely. And and. Um, one of the very first tasks I did was try to to actually describe rural education. Mm. And across uh, internationally, the literature that's available, it actually can't be described, which mm -hmm. is it's quite interesting. But, you know, for our purposes in Scotland, mm -hmm. um, there is the rural urban classification of mm -hmm. all schools in Scotland. So rural, um, there, there are the three uh, categories around that of um, accessible rural, mm -hmm. remote rural, and very remote rural areas. But what's been really interesting for me is that actually 40% of our primary schools are yeah. rural and 20% of our secondary schools are rural. Gosh. So actually, that is quite a big, um, you know, number of schools, yeah. and it may well be that it is actually only across, you know, the, the population that is there is obviously much lower. Yeah, and we've got ninety four percent of the land mass of Scotland is categorised as rural. So, um, you know, the majority of our urban schools sitting in the urban area are in a very small area yeah and if you look to the rest of our rural schools they're so well scattered across scotland that yeah. the, um, you know that the it's really interesting that geography and the sense of place and context around those schools yes um that's it's a surprising statistic i wouldn't have anticipated that and yet when you <laughs> it I'm like well of course yes that makes sense but I suppose we we don't necessarily necessarily think of it in that way and necessarily think of it in terms of the geography of Scotland but of course yeah. that makes sense so rural education is special to you what what makes it special to you well I suppose in in many ways it has it defines me it's defined a lot of my career and I, I know that not everyone understands that. But I think one of the things across um, my career that has always made me, on good days, quite cross. <laughs> um, and to a degree of being furious after that was the, the deficit lens that people mm -hmm. tended to put on to um, rural education. You know, oh, that must be so difficult or... That must be so easy. You've only got seven children, you know, yeah. or, um, you know, these kind of, oh, what a shame. These poor children, they don't have anyone else to play with or, you know. Um, and, and I, across the years, have seen so many absolutely magical learning moments. 
moments of joy, moments of absolute excellence. We talk about excellence a lot in Scottish education. That that I wanted to make that be um, applicable to a lot of people and not just those who understand um, what rural education is. There's obviously, <clears throat> in the, the kind of times that we are living on, there's a huge financial question around uh, lots of schools and, um, you know, what's being provided. Now, obviously, rural schools come in there really as high in the, the cost per child for educating them. Um, so again, I felt there was something there that needed to be explored, that it wasn't just about these finances. Um, and, you know, that, that there was so much more to be able to offer and to give. Yeah. And I got that sense when you said earlier, I think when you sort of introduced the your your topic of your your ED, that bit about like, mm -hmm. but what about rural schools? What about? And yeah. I guess it's that kind of championing, I guess, that you've been doing and you continue to do. And I, I follow you on Twitter, so I see you do it on there sometimes as well. <laughs> Do you see do you see a shift? Did COVID change things? How has it changed over time? That that's a really interesting point. I mean, I think I, I was doing some of my um interviews and research over COVID times online. Now, um, as you know, everything kind of moved online. Yeah. Colleagues were saying to me in rural schools that it was the first time that they had felt an equity. Mm. because we were all in the same position yeah. and it wasn't just them that was you know I've been that person at a um, national meeting sitting on the end of a phone in the middle of a table and yeah. nobody absolutely nobody taking any heed that you were there yeah. whereas now we were all online and you could see people people could connect with you so there was a big difference to that I think also that the teachers I have talked to in the small rural schools, whilst they miss the children, they miss the community, they knew their children really, really well. Yeah. Which meant that they could tailor their online activities very much to each individual child. And yeah. I think that that was, that was a big bonus in it too. And I think in general, the kind of safety element that people felt with being in a more, more rural situation um, was one that a lot of people were trying then to explore. Uh -huh. So I think we have seen people move um, into some of the smaller villages since then. Yeah. I think that the jury's still out as to whether that will remain, especially yeah. when you get a very wet winter like we're keeping into, you know, because that can obviously change people's views on on where they are. Yeah. Uh, but I I do think that there has been that shift. Now, interestingly, I think more and more things are heading back to face to face. Mm. And you know, it's 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 one of my battle uh, missions at the moment is to you know what we managed it. So why can't we um have that more um, hybrid approach so that we're we're absolutely all um, available to take part. Yeah, 
it's certainly COVID certainly showed us what we could do with technology and how we could do things actually quite quickly and quite easily. And I know from my own experiences working previously of trying to use technology, this was long before COVID, it just never really worked. <laughs> the technology wasn't there, it didn't work, the connectivity wasn't there, everybody had different systems and we've we've got much better at that. And but that comes with different challenges, doesn't it? Hybrid is quite different to online. And yeah. and there's a there's a skill set, I think, in managing hybrid. And and is there a willingness to, for us to to actually get that skill set up and running? You know, one of the other areas that during COVID that um, was really important for some of the small schools, particularly those who had a shared head, yeah, it was the ability to bring their staff together. Just like you were saying, they had tried and tried to do that yeah. previously. But then they actually were able to do that and make it work really well. Yeah. Um, and and I think, you know, the potential that had been used there, um, plus, you know, sort of the, the Northern Alliance Regional Improvement Collaborative, who had to do so much online anyway because of the distance within the collaborative, actually really found that to be a benefit to move their work along too. Yeah, yeah. There's always opportunities, isn't there, in every everything? <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I think maybe that was something that Rural grasped quite quickly, you know, and, and was able to move on with. Yes, yes, a, perhaps a slightly different mindset or um, openness to it as a as a process. So thinking about leading in rural schools, in rural settings, mm-hmm. what, what's the skill set or the mindset or both that that's required because I guess it's different it's different for lots of reasons and it's different in lots of different ways so from your experience what's that skill set and mindset that is really helpful or supports that context yeah it's it's very interesting Sarah because one of the things I do uh, I have been doing is um part of the in headship program with Mm -hmm. newly or fairly newly appointed heads And I also have had some input into the interheadship, thinking about what's different about a rural school. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, that there's obviously, from the point of view that you you have all the leadership skills that you require to have as a head teacher, it's over and above that, that that some of them seem incidental. Mm -hmm. But, you know, you very much are the property of the community. Ah. You are part of it, even although you're not living in it, mm-hmm. and people are keen to know about you. Now, that can become quite difficult if you've not had that kind of experience. Mm-hmm. And it's certainly across the years, that's something that I've seen some people who've moved into the situation of a rural head teacher find very difficult, you know. Um, and I always say to people that there is your professional category but there's also that personal category that has to come into it as well. Yeah. You know, you may well be teaching your own children. Yeah. And you may well be teaching friends' children. And mm-hmm. how do you demark those kind of areas as well? Yeah. And I think within my own research, I think that the leadership of these very small schools is absolutely fascinating. 
Mm. Because in any situations you look and you see that it could be operational, the type of activities that are happening. Yeah. But then it's hugely strategic as well. Yeah. And um there's something I'm calling agile leadership because you have to be moving so quickly um, between different aspects. You know, you may be leading for the community, you may be leading for that one child. Um, in the class, their curriculum. Yeah. You may then be leading on um, GIRFEC issues. You mm. may then actually be attending a strategic meeting at cluster level where yeah. you are trying to get across, well, that will not work for my situation. Mm. Um, and, and being able to be all of these things. And what happens when... Um, there is a strategic meeting and there's absolutely no one will cover for you in that rural school. You can't go. Yeah. So that strategic voice is often lost at that point in time. Mm -hmm. You know, and I, I think that these are things that um, don't happen so much in an, a, a bigger urban school. Yeah. But there's also huge um, uh, advantages. One of the uh, head teacher colleagues that I've been um, working with was very definite that he felt in, for example, Curriculum for Excellence, uh -huh. he was the main person who was implementing uh, it as well as being the person who was actually creating the policy for the school. Yeah. Therefore, there, there was that real richness and understanding of what that um, policy is. And I also think you have to be incredibly agile with your curriculum development because it does come down to you and there isn't really many other people. Yeah. Whereas when you've got a bigger leadership team, you can use the expertise, but that expertise has to really uh, come down to you yourself. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and I have no idea the statistics on this but is there anything and you maybe don't know as well and that's fine is there do head teachers in rural schools or small schools tend to stay longer what's the kind of turnover is there anything on that I don't it's, it's an interesting one I'd like to whenever I get this doctorate finished <laughs> there are lots of different side roads I'd like yeah. to go down and that is one in particular to see yeah. what that retention um, is, is actually. I think that we have issues in how the sort of career structure is in Scottish education along the lines of rural schools obviously and in job sizing related to how many children are, are in the school, how yeah. many classes etc. Um, it doesn't make the finances too interesting. Mm -hmm. And there's a perception that that's where you can start and, and cut your teeth. Now, as I previously said, I think that the, the leadership skills required are so incredibly um, complex that I'm not sure it is the best place for somebody to start. Yeah. But there, there isn't the financial packages that go alongside that that would support it to to be for somebody who perhaps was already a head teacher. Yes. So it tends to be that people use use that as a kind of career progression. Yeah. Um, and I have been working with an incredibly talented head teacher. She mm -hmm. is 
she is exactly what you would want for a rural school. Yeah. She is a shared head over three schools and um, knows what she's doing and, and is incredibly supportive to the children and staff. And she has been told that if she wants um, promotion, she'll need to go for a bigger school. Mm. So that in itself goes back to the deficit that yeah. we have talked about, you know, and, and seeing it as a poor relation in a sense. But, you know, you think in the skills that's required to run three schools, I know the children. Um, now, I think she has in total about 30 children across the three schools. So it doesn't appear that that's a huge amount of children. But there's the complexity of the context and place of each of these schools, the expectations of the community and um, the, you know, the expectations of the children themselves. Because often parents whose children have some additional support needs mm -hmm. are often drawn to the smaller schools as well, yeah. which you know, makes makes yet another complexity. Yeah, gosh, I can't. Three schools seems completely overwhelming to me. And I suppose that, you know, it, there is a narrative and, and certainly the structure, the progression structure in, in education is fairly linear. It is about going up in numbers, basically, you know, go up in role, go up in through the sort of PT deputy head. And then it's a, then it's about kind of numbers and size and things. And I think that does, as you say, undermine the complexity or also the skill set that's required to, to manage and to navigate that complexity. I mean, three schools is just incredible <laughs> and we haven't even touched on you know we've, we've been speaking about rural schools but we haven't talked actually about that shared headship as well because I think that's that's another layer of complexity surely yeah you know within the sort of rural school setting if you like mm -hmm. there is a small rural school but very often now those small rural schools are under shared headship yeah. I've even talked to one head teacher who has five Oh my goodness! Yeah, I, I mean, I I can't even begin to think how you know he he manages that, and and we all know there are, are great difficulties of supply full stop. Yeah. So can you imagine you know that he will have to be going in and out of various schools wearing that supply hat too, yeah, and um, which which makes it very complex. But there are also island schools. Yeah. And, and, you know, that brings yet another degree of um, separation, I suppose, from, from the mainland. Yeah. You know, for example, in Argyll and Butte, we were not classified as an island authority, but we, had, we have 23 inhabited islands. Yeah. So, you know, the number of schools that are actually on islands it is fairly um, eye-opening from that point of view. Yeah, and sometimes on islands, off islands. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. We once had a probationer who said she ticked the anywhere box and she said, that's exactly what I got because I got an island off an island. <laughs> yes, that, the, the elusive tick the box exercise. <laughs> but what was really interesting was she stayed and yeah. she stayed for um, two to three years, um, which, you know, was brilliant because it was... It was an experience that she had no concept and no idea of. Yeah. 
Yeah. That that's something I've been trying to get across um to our university colleagues as well, is to say, mm -hmm. you know, think about placements within rural because that's the way that we can begin to actually have people learn about and understand and be able to access a different approach as well. Yeah, absolutely. How do we shift that narrative, Brett, then? We, you know, you, you talked there about <clears throat> the, the complexity that's required and this idea that it's the poor relation and promotion is, you know, bigger school, more urban school. How do we shift that narrative? Yeah, I think one of the things that I'm certainly hoping that we do establish is to be able to get representation at national around some of that good practice that's happening. Um, and we've just got to keep knocking the door at that and be proactive about it. Mm -hmm. Now, interestingly, one of the, the um, sort of themes coming through is about rural voice. Mm -hmm. and getting rural voice um, heard. And I think that our um, rural head teachers do have um, something there to work towards. Now, yeah. I understand, and I understand probably more than lots of people, that it is very, it can be very difficult to be able to get to a meeting, to mm -hmm. be able to put your input. So I think, again, back to we need to make that easier. We need to really value the, the this kind of technology that we can actually be in different places. I'm sitting here in rural Argyll, you're in Edinburgh. Yep. You know, that, that kind of importance that we can still share. And I'd really like to see that uh, be promoted. I'd also like to see these excellent opportunities that I've said that children have had to be able to be promoted as well. As part of my research, I was working in a small school, seven pupils in that. I spent one-to-one -one time with each one, asking them what they liked about their school, um, asking them about, you know, what they felt like to be in a rural school. And it was really interesting because, yeah, all of them had mm -hmm. been in a different school. So that was, they had something to compare with. And um, one young lady, she said to me, well, I think it's quite simple, you know. Every child should have an opportunity to see what this is like. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> and then she was very quick then and said to me, because that's equity, isn't it? And I thought, <laughs> I wonder where that one came from. <laughs> Brilliant. I guess, you know, we, we come back to that often, that children do tell us exactly how it is and what it feels like we also have to give them the opportunity to have a voice in this as well absolutely and I think that's something that we do need to ensure you know we do as well and as a um, chief education officer in, in a local authority which there were a lot of rural I was always keen that we had a mix of children yeah. it wasn't just those who were close by that we could get easily in to be able to present at things you know for example in the the council it wasn't just the children that were close by but actually those who could represent for our councillors and be able to give them examples of you know what it's like in their context because I think often the children put that across much better than any of us yes 
always. <laughs> and I guess you, you said there about encouraging universities to think about placements in rural locations. But I guess it's also, you know, if we have visitors and we have people coming to Scotland to learn and to visit schools, it's also about recognising that not all our schools are the ones, you know, close to Edinburgh and Glasgow. And we understand why that happens. Mm -hmm. But, you know, you've given us the statistics there at the beginning. You've talked about the, the land and the place. And actually, I think that's also important to see you know, that we are creating those opportunities for rural education to be part of that kind of bigger narrative as well. I think you're absolutely right, Sarah. And I think it goes even closer to home in that when, you know, that we've got ministers who are making announcements around education and what's happening, that that needs to be seen across Scotland and not just in sort of central belt area where it's easy to get to. Yeah, yeah. You've kind of given us um, some insight in what you would like to see or how we can begin to shift that narrative. But what would you like to see more of? So if if yeah, if I gave you a magic wand, <laughs> what would you like to see more of? Well, I, I think that, you know, a particular area that, that is really close to my heart is outdoor education, outdoor learning, learning in the outdoors. Now, uh, by nature, our rural schools do that well. They do it very well. Um, and it's not just, I've got to be in my bonnet about this, that we don't just move what is easy to do indoors, outdoors, and put an outdoor label on that. Mm -hmm. yeah. You know, it's it's about real learning. What's the difference in the outdoors around that? And I think because of, as I said, the place, the space yeah. that's there, that a lot of our rural schools are really, really good at doing that. So I suppose I'd like to shift the balance slightly and have that as a learning that other schools across Scotland can take from the rural. And I think it is even more important now as we're looking at global uh, situations around climate change um, and aspects like that, we need to actually get back and touch base with our land, touch base with the environment. Um, and some of the examples that are happening in the rural schools are quite amazing around that. So with your magic wish, that's exactly what I would like to do. I would like to make that really possible, that that rich learning um, would be transferred and would help us along our journey um, around climate change, around global awareness, around sustainability. Yeah, and that would be such a great opportunity. We, we've talked a little bit about making sure there's opportunities for rural educators to contribute, but I'm just wondering, is there a flip of that as well? Do, do they take the opportunities, do they, or not just take the opportunities, but are they making the opportunities? Are they making a noise? I suppose is maybe a good way of putting it. Yeah. <laughs> and and I don't think as much as they could, Sarah. Um, mm -hmm. that that is my view. But I think that comes from a lack of confidence. It comes from the kind of deficit model that that we were talking about. That they don't feel that they have so much to offer. But I think if we had take something like I've, I've said there about out, 
uh, our outdoors, our environment, and be able to make people feel confident about that and, and to be able to share. And I think that very often as well, when you're in the isolation position that a lot are, they don't actually realise that they're doing really, really good work mm-hmm. and good work that, of a national standard mm-hmm. um, because that it's not so easy to look over the fence and see what someone else is doing. And yeah. it's not so easy just to go around the corner and see the practice that others are doing. Um, yeah. And I think that that's something I would I would like as well, if, if my magic wand is extended a bit, <laughs> is a, to be able to have the resources that would allow a greater um, flexibility to, to move between urban and rural and to allow staff to appreciate, you know, what each has got. Yeah. It's maybe also something about assuming that excellence has something to do with scale and that something that is small isn't necessarily excellent by its by its nature of that scale. It's a bit like we talked about the the kind of hierarchy and the progression is often about scale and maybe we get maybe excellence gets caught up in that as well. That's a that's a really interesting point because if you think about sort of the improvement collaborative work, yeah. um, it always starts small. Mm. So, you know, it, it is is there something using that improvement uh, framework and, and model there that actually scaling it up um yeah. is something and I hadn't actually thought in that one, Sarah, but that, that's an interesting idea. Yeah. It's just it often it often seems to be, you know, that idea of of numbers and how many and how yeah. big and, and and growth and, and scale. Um and maybe that holds us back as well. And that's something that, that there was um, certainly in the head teachers I have interviewed, they felt quite strongly about the sort of Scottish Attainment Challenge funding mm-hmm. and the pupil equity funding and yeah. how they have really very small, yes. very, very small pots to work with. Yeah. And, you know, that how do you scale that up? Um, and how do you actually learn from people who have got such, well, what they see is such a big pot of funding there, you yeah. know, and, and th- that's something as well, the, the, the sort of funding that's been available for schools in the Central Belt to um, have additional staff, which is absolutely right, and I'm not saying it, it, it's not, and um, being able to be creative about how they use that money to really support the children has also had a knock-on effect for less staff who are willing to come away from the central belt for a job. Yeah, yes. And thank you. It's been really fascinating to chat all things rural education. And yeah, I could have had so many more questions. And when you were describing the the accessible remote and very remote, I was very drawn to the very remote. And I thought, would like to, I'd like to go and explore a very remote school. And I'm sure the 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 topics that we've covered will be of interest to to many people listening so thank you for your time but before we finish we have two questions that we finish all of our podcasts with and the first one is what are you reading at the moment well Sarah I have um I have I'm one of these people and I have loads of books all around the place and it depends on my mood what Mm -hmm. I'm actually reading 
but I thought since we were talking education, I should probably pick up my academic one. Um, and I'm reading um, Educational Leadership for a More Sustainable World by Mike Bottery. Now, it's a 2016 book, but just from what I'd said earlier, there's so yeah. much in that for thinking about sustainability. Yeah. And not just the sustainability around the environmental and around the social and the economic, but he addresses, and I think it's it's something post-COVID that is really important, he addresses that sustainability of our educational leaders through their own health and well-being. Yeah. And I think that that's a huge area and a, a huge issue. So I've, I kind of just recently picked that book up again but I was so aware of maybe how important it is yeah. for us at the time we're in just now. Absolutely. And and if, if I go to the other end, mm -hmm. another book that's made an impact on me in the last week has a, my um, granddaughter mm -hmm. absolutely loves the Julia Donaldson, The Snail and the Wheel. Mm -hmm. And, I, you know, as you go through it and you read it so many times that mm -hmm. I really really enjoy it but it suddenly spoke to me and I thought you know there is a message here for us as adults as well about that you know trying to be aspiring and mm -hmm. actually not just to be satisfied with what you've got but actually to 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 maybe go off on the, the wheels tail and have a big excitement and um, yeah. so that that's that's sort of two at the moment <laughs> Brilliant. We we like a combination and so many of our guests are multiple book readers at one time. <laughs> yeah. You're in good company there. And so lastly, do you have a quote or a message that you would like to leave the listeners with? Well, this is one that I've I've used for a very, very long time and I think is probably what I'm really passionate about is that we need to give our children roots mm. and then the wings to fly to aspire the roots to know where their home is the roots to know who they are but that these wings to really fly away and exercise what's been taught to them and to be able to try out new things and I think that's important for all children I think for rural children it's really important you know and, and very often many of them do go and spread their wings and they come back at a certain point because the roots are there. Yeah, love that. And that lovely connection with, with place as well and the importance of, of place for all of us. Yeah. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode. We hope you enjoyed it and found it useful. If you enjoy listening, you can support us by following on your preferred platform, sharing on social media, or leave us a review. Thanks again.